Welcome to Queer Thinking, a podcast where we unpack queer identity, dive into issues and explore all the things that make us unique, connected and creative. Our LGBTQIA community is really special. We represent all the wonderful colours of the rainbow. And although we come together as one to support, uplift and celebrate our united community, we're all so different and each of us has a unique story to tell. From the provocative and heartfelt to the hilarious and heart-wrenching, over the next eight episodes, no topic is off limits as we invite a dynamic assortment of LGBTQIA guests onto the show to open up and share their stories. Queer Thinking is produced on unceded Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, as well as our brother boys and sister girls of the LGBTQIA community. Hey there, I'm Triana Butler, the host of Queer Thinking. Sex is a big part of the queer community, whether it's attending sex on-premises venues or sex parties, engaging with multiple partners, going cruising, or being in a polyamorous relationship, or even opening up your relationship. There are many layers to queer sex. Many people use it as a chance to explore their sexuality and their identity, but there are a lot of issues around queer sex that don't often get spoken about. Things like consent, STIs, stigma around those who are HIV positive, sexual racism, and more. And for members of the asexual community, sex just isn't on the radar at all, which can feel kind of strange considering how many people who identify as part of our community see sex as such a big part of it. Today, we're exploring all things queer sex. We'll be chatting with Joelle Murray from ACON. Joelle is a manager of community health programs at ACON, and they're HIV positive. Also joining us is Amy Benici. Amy is asexual. They'll chat a bit about their experience being ace, as well as their experience attending queer events where sex is so prevalent. And we'll also be joined by Carl Johnson, a sexual health specialist and the manager of ACON's Gay Men's Sexual Health Program. Remember, if any of the topics discussed today bring up negative feelings for you, support is available. For a list of LGBTIQA plus support services, head to mardigras.org.au forward slash support. Joining us now are Joelle, Amy and Carl. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Joelle, I want to start with you. We're going to get heavy right from the outset. When did you, when did you find out your HIV status? I was a regular tester from an early age from when I was sexually active and, but um, I was, it was 2010 and I think I'd just passed my 24th, 25th birthday. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just over about 11 years ago. First reaction? Shocked. Um, shocked because I had kind of had a scare six months beforehand and thought, oh, like, I've got all this information. Even if I get it, I'll be cool. And, yeah, it just turns out, like, really, I didn't I don't think there's any amount of preparation that, well, I felt like there wasn't enough preparation for me. And there was this kind of monologue inside my head every every second began with like, you're living with HIV, you're living with HIV, you're living with HIV. And look, that was like in the beginning and then like over time that kind of dissipated as I got more comfortable with my diagnosis and connected to more people living with HIV. Well, it sounds like, as you said, you were a regular tester, you had quite a bit of knowledge. What was your understanding of HIV prior to finding out your status? 
look, I think I had a lot of, um, I think I was doing some sorrow sorting, which means um, choosing who you have sex with on the basis of their status. And um, I just had the wrong information about people who assumed their status was HIV negative. Uh, and that time we didn't have access to PrEP in Australia. So yeah, I think maybe if PrEP were available, I might've assessed myself to be at risk, but I think as well, there was that key information that a HIV negative result is a point in time. And yeah, that's a bit problematic just to be asking that question. Yeah. How, how have your feelings changed since, since that moment? I think it's been like a large growth kind of for me, personal growth, because I think HIV was just like a bit of a red flag for all the other chaos or um, instability in my life that, you know, and so there was some stuff that had caught up to me, uh, mental health stuff, trauma stuff. And in a way, the HIV was, was a way of bringing it to the foreground and making me pay attention to myself, my health, my mental health and well-being, how socially connected I was, those kinds of things. There's still quite a lot of stigma around HIV. What's the biggest challenge for you when it comes to disclosing your HIV status publicly? Well, I've, I've disclosed my status a lot and including in major papers and television. So there are quite a lot of people who know about my status. Um, I think one of the hardest parts about disclosing was to my parents and the way they found out was from the media and that wasn't like the best way to do it. But what it made me realise is like there's really never a good time to tell one's parents that they're living, living with HIV. And actually when I told them the information, they've been like they were really great. They were better at responding to my telling them about HIV than say when I came out about my sexuality. Wow, that's that's impressive. Mad props to your parents then. Have you have you found the stigma around HIV decreasing as time goes on? I mean it's hard to say for me because like I'm not really engaging in this casual sex scenes like I once was in my 20s. Um I think you know there's a really great opportunity that like some of the drugs that we take as people living with HIV are made available to people to prevent HIV. Um, but I'm not sure whether the message around those same drugs that you're taking to prevent HIV are the same drugs that I'm taking to protect myself and my sexual partners from, from HIV. And so I'm not just not sure whether that message is um, yet coming through strongly. I, I think things take time and social attitudes take time to change. And so I think it's just about chipping away at that slowly um, over time. There are a lot of stories out there about gay men living with HIV, not a whole lot about those in the transgender diverse community living with HIV. What do you think about the kind of representation that's out there? Yeah, I agree that there's not a lot of um, trans people in Australia who are out there saying, hey, I'm trans, I'm living with HIV. I know other people, trans people living with HIV. And I think um, maybe they're not comfortable about disclosing the fact that they're trans or maybe Maybe they're not comfortable um, with disclosing their HIV status. And I can completely empathise with those positions. If people are have got other things going on in their lives, whether that's like a housing or a relationship or employment or health, often those things take a priority. And so it's like I'm actually in quite a privileged position of having good health and relative stability in my life. And so that enables me to then do that advocacy because I'm in a strong place. So. Joelle, you're currently working on a cabaret about your experiences living with HIV. Definitely one way to put yourself out there. Tell me, tell me a bit about that. 
many years ago before I was working in health, before I was um, working in the arts, I actually wanted to be a performer in music theatre and then I kind of um, let that go and then kind of ended up becoming an arts administrator and then, you know, working in community health. And so um, during lockdown, I kind of reconnected um, with my former vocal coach and from when I was like in my early 20s. And so, yeah, it's just been kind of like a journey in terms of rediscovering that part of myself. Um, I think as well, the cabaret is an opportunity just, you know, to put like a non-binary face out there as well and to try and also bring people's attention to the fact that a lot has changed in HIV and that, you know, we're living healthy lives now. Joelle, what's the one thing that you wish people knew about being HIV positive? Well, I'd say two things because I'm going to be cheeky. The first of all is that HIV doesn't discriminate, so it doesn't care about your gender or your sexuality or the colour of your skin. And the second thing would be that, you know, as people living with HIV who are taking effective treatment, I can't pass on HIV um, through sex. And so I think that's a really important message. Yeah, we're going to chat with um, Carl about that a little bit later on. Before we get to Carl, though, I want to come to you, Amy. Amy, very different discussion because you are asexual. Can you give us a, a brief explanation of what it means to you to be asexual? Being asexual just means you experience little to no sexual attraction, but it's a spectrum in itself and it can cover a range of different experiences per individual. Personally, for me, I am not sexually attracted to any gender. So I've just gone through my entire life like that. <laughs> but I do experience other forms of attraction. So like um, aesthetic attraction. So separating different types of attraction for the asexual community is really important because a lot of people automatically put sexual, romantic, aesthetic all together. And for most people that would be true. But being able to separate romantic interests and sexual interests and like aesthetic attraction it's been a big journey and something the asexual community is really trying to educate about but you said that you had kind of grown up like this knowing this your whole life but but when did you first realize that you're asexual was there a moment where the penny kind of dropped i was actually 24 which is like 10 years ago now when I first read the term asexual, like when I first realised it was a thing that existed. So I'd gone through high school, gone through university, been wondering why am I not meeting anyone that I'm attracted to? Like this just isn't happening for me. Like all my friends and people I see on TV, it's just was just not happening. And at the time I was just living under the assumption that I was straight, like, you know, I was a woman who was going to be attracted to men and that was my story and it just wasn't happening. So I tried a little bit of online dating, which didn't, didn't end very well. And the first time I read the word asexual was actually in a fan fiction. It's like no other media had any representation anywhere and that's just 10 years ago. And so I read this character online in someone's story and I was like hey that kind of sounds like me and so I did some google searches and found some websites or other kind of people talking about asexuality online which was really kind of new at that point and was like hey this actually kind of sounds accurate um but yeah so it came 
quite late to realization like at 24 you think you've gone through your you know puberty and that kind of phase where everyone's like obsessed with relationships and dating and stuff like that and I'm just like didn't get it like why didn't make sense to me so I knew that I'd sort of always felt that way but it wasn't until I found the word that I knew that there was other people who had the same experience well, since coming out as asexual, what's it been like trying to navigate relationships in a world where, I mean, as you know, 10 years ago, you hadn't even heard of the word asexual. There are still quite a, a large number of people out in the community that are, are probably in the same place or or lack basic understanding about it. What's it like trying to navigate relationships like that? For one, a lot of the time you end up doing a asexual 101 with people I haven't really had that much experience with relationships like dating because I think I might be somewhere on the aromantic spectrum as well. Still figuring that out, so still questioning my romantic orientation. But I've had friends who had asked me about it and um, I had a friend who I think was interested in me romantically and I had to explain to him that, no, I'm not attracted to you and this is what asexuality is and this is what it's like a whole Thing where you've got to explain the orientation first and then explain what that means for your relationship with the person. And um, because a lot of people don't know that asexuality is a sexual orientation, you've got to sit down and talk with someone about what that means for you and what it means for your boundaries. I've talked to other asexual people in the community and who are dating people and communication is the most important thing for them to set boundaries and what they're comfortable with. It's interesting that you bring up boundaries because when you look at our LGBTQIA plus communities, it's generally a very sex positive community. A lot of queer events are very sexually open, nudity, sex positivity, and glitter instead of clothes. How do you feel in those events? What's that like navigating that as an asexual person? My biggest experience with that is at Mardi Gras because I've been in the parade for years, I think. And generally I feel quite welcome and I am quite personally sex positive in general, even if I'm personally sex adverse myself. So it's easier for me than probably other people maybe in the asexual community to deal with that sort of environment. Other than sort of Mardi Gras Festival and um, that kind of thing, I'm also sort of like an introvert, so I don't tend to go out to like, you know, dance clubs and parties and stuff. Uh, but I did uh, have a really great experience recently where I went to a um, queer social, which was just like an online painting class during lockdown, which was really quite nice and friendly. And I tend, like, I tend to feel really comfortable in the queer community generally. But it is a bit confronting for some people who are not, they have a more negative reaction to just sexual content and like sex adverse people who are just, um, makes them really feel uncomfortable. You're listening to Queer Thinking. Amy, same question that I asked Joelle earlier. I'm going to ask you, what's the one thing you wish people knew about asexual people? Apart from the fact that we exist, just how diverse the community is. Like we've got people from all genders, different races, different religious backgrounds, all walks of life. And the fact that there's nothing wrong with being asexual and there's nothing wrong with not wanting to participate in sex and that you can set your personal boundaries 
um, and that's okay. Yeah, just getting that message out there. Now, Amy, you're from Australian Asexuals. If someone's been listening to this podcast and they're like, hmm, I haven't heard that before, but maybe that is me, where can they go for more resources? So we do have an active public Facebook page, which is just Australian Asexuals on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We also have a uh, website, AustralianAsexuals.com, where people can just get some basic one-on-one information about what is asexuality and different sort of under the umbrella terms for like demisexual, grey ace kind of things, Um, and also uh, romantic orientations. This podcast is a collaboration between Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras and Joy, Australia's rainbow community media organisation. For more information on the Queer Thinking podcast and on upcoming Queer Thinking events, visit mardigras.org.au forward slash podcast. You're listening to Queer Thinking. All right, I want to go to you, Carl, now. You're a queer health specialist. We're coming up to Pride season now. What would be some of the important things for our community to consider about our sexual health in particular? So I think step one around your sexual health and Mardi Gras, booking a test uh, a few weeks before uh, the season actually begins. Um, step two, I would say uh, be well aware of what your SDI and HIV prevention strategies are. Um, be aware of the multiple ways that you can take PrEP. I mean, understand very firmly what an undetectable viral load means. Uh, if you're using condoms, have a supply. Uh, And I think it's really important that we don't wait until the last minute. Um, Some of that stuff, uh, you need a doctor's appointment. So uh, plan ahead. Um, Step three is just planning your next sexual, comprehensive sexual health screening following uh, Mardi Gras. Um, So generally, that would be probably three months after the one I just encouraged you to get on step one. Um, But yeah, that would kind of round out some of the foundational aspects of your sexual health as you approach Mardi Gras. And step four is just have a lot of fun at Mardi Gras. Um, what we want at Acon is we just want you to have fun, but we want you to do so and make inform- while making informed decisions about your sexual health and, and, and if you're partying, partying as safely as possible. Now you mentioned there undetectable viral load or U equals U. That's been discussed around the community for a few years now. For those who are still making sense of it, what does undetectable viral load actually mean? Um, so U equals U means undetectable equals untransmissible, and it's really it's quite simple. Um, so what happens now for someone who is living with HIV is that when they go on treatment, uh, they normally achieve what's called an undetectable viral load. Um, what that means is they're not cured of HIV, but modern viral load tests cannot detect HIV within um, their testing. So um, that's called being undetectable. It has great impacts on a person's health and it has really big impacts on HIV transmission. Um, so to make it quite simple, when someone is living with HIV and has an undetectable viral load, they are unable to pass on HIV to a sexual partner, full stop. Um, that's with or without condoms or PrEP. So that's just using treatment as prevention. You're listening to Queer Thinking. Now, with that, I mean, that was revealed that U equals U a couple years ago. Since then, are we seeing any major advancements in the prevention or the treatment of HIV and of STIs as well, actually? So, I mean, I think, 
on the topic which I'm here to talk about, which is sexual health and Mardi Gras, I might pivot slightly uh, and just use this moment to kind of reinforce to just maintain regular comprehensive sexual health testing. I think that's probably the most important message to put out there around uh, SDIs. So with um, gay and bi and queer men it's rec- who have uh, sex with men, it's recommended that we test um, quarterly. If you're sexually active, if you're in a monogamous relationship, test at least once a year. Um, for other groups like uh, queer women or uh, trans or non-binary people who are not gay men, um, the precise clinical recommendations might vary slightly, uh, but I think I'd say it's good practice if you're out and uh, enjoying yourself and having sex to kind of plan around quarterly testing. Um, I would just advise to seek that specific recommendation um, with the latter populations there with your clinical provider. It feels like, as you say, there are a lot of discussions around cisgender gay men, but there aren't as many around trans people, non-binary people. Are there any kind of specific STIs or uh, specific things that uh, that group of people need to be watching out for? I think with STIs, you know, I wouldn't come in here necessarily to give advice to specific populations. Um, What I would do was recommend engaging in ongoing comprehensive sexual health testing, and I would make sure that people are aware of referral pathways that exist um, so you can engage uh, with information that can support you to get that. I think that's the best way I can answer that. Um, For example, um, for trans and gender diverse people, I would absolutely recommend ACON's um, transhub.org.au. You know, seek out information, seek out culturally appropriate information, where possible find uh, appropriate care that's uh, understanding of your lived experience. Um, I do want to acknowledge for uh, queer women, lesbians, trans and gender diverse people, there is a void of, uh, not a void, but there is uh, uh, less available of culturally appropriate care. And I think that that's absolutely something incumbent upon uh, the health response in this state to address. In particular, you know, we see rising visibility. People are, are, you know, deserve equity in care. In my work, I'm absolutely an ally to all those other subpopulations. I acknowledge and I uh, identify that there's a gap. And I think we just need to keep maintaining that conversation until that is filled. We are coming up to Mardi Gras season really quickly. You touched on it earlier, but how are Econ and Mardi Gras working together to help promote well-being within our community? So one main thing we typically do is we run a large-scale safe sex or or testing campaign um, over the Mardi Gras period. Uh, As I mentioned earlier this year, it's about test, so re-engage in testing. um, And you can see those messages throughout the Mardi Gras party. Uh, throughout our parade, we'll feature that um, as, as we march and, and everywhere, the after party, uh, different activations on fair day, et cetera. Um, in terms of looking out for our communities, uh, ACON provides a variety of kind of like harm reduction kind of services in a sense. Um, these are many of Joelle's projects, but I'll speak a bit on them here. So we have uh, people called Rovers 
who are volunteers who are looking out for anyone who might, you know, not be having such a good time while partying and just support them, uh, get them the support they need. So we're just keeping an eye out on, there on community. Um, we have our fair play volunteers who are keeping a keen eye on police and making sure everyone is getting fair treatment uh, during this period. Uh, we have what we call tradies who walk around handing out condoms and uh, HIV prevention strategies and lube. Um, we've got sex experts who you can see at places like Fair Day. Um, they'd be, you know, answering questions about sexual health. We have our testing services. So we have a test on Oxford Street operating six days a week and a virtual service available statewide called U-Test. It's it's incredible work, Carl. As we come up to Mardi Gras season, wh what's like the big important takeaway you want people to know about staying safe? So just continuing on with the idea of a culture of care, uh, which is rooted in community. Akon is rooted and built in community. We run our programs through peers who have a lived experience of the, the communities that we're supporting. Um, so just think about how you are going to protect yourself and how you're going to protect your friends and your partners. Uh, and plan in advance. Um, that, of course, is your sexual health, but it's also a lot of us are going to be partying. So, like, uh, think about how to do so more safely. Uh, if you don't know about harm reduction, I'd recommend learning more about that, which you can do at ACON's uh, Pivot Point website. Uh, and, you know, plan ahead when it comes to sexual health, like testing and prevention, because you may need a little time to organize those things. But most importantly, um, just have a really beautiful time. Um, look after your friends and and just celebrate why LGBTQ plus people are so magical. I know you mentioned you had like a big list of websites and resources that you wanted to share. Go on, do it. <laughs> I do. So I've got five websites that I just like to list because these will be really helpful uh, around managing sexual health and, and other health around uh, Mardi Gras. Um, so first, you know, there's Ending HIV. It's an excellent place to start for gay, bi and queer men um, just around HIV testing, prevention, uh, treatment, other topics like ending HIV stigma, which uh, we want to amplify. Um, anything specific to trans or gender diverse experience, uh, head over to transhub.org.au. Uh, you can learn about social, medical, legal, clinical, other topics there. Um, it's a really wonderful, beautiful resource. Um, if you want to learn more about how to party more safely, harm reduction or get links to, you know, referrals to counseling or other kind of care around alcohol and other drugs, uh, visit our pivotpoint.org.au website. Um, I have to say from ACON, you can always visit our website, acon.org.au. We have a huge range of programming for broader LGBTQ populations. Um, finally, any question you have around your sexual health, just keep this referral on hand, not just for Mardi Gras, anytime in New South Wales. It's the New South Wales Sexual Health Infolink. Uh, you can find that at shil.nsw.gov.au. If you just want to question around PrEP, how it, how it works for you, anything related to your sexual health, where you can go, what's culturally appropriate, um, that is my starting point um, when I have a, a curveball question. Um, so yeah, just keep, keep a New South Wales sexual health info link in your mind this holiday season. 
Okay, well, we'll try to get those links into the show notes for the podcast as well. So if you didn't get to write them all down, uh, don't worry, they'll all be in there. Just tap through to the show notes in the episode description and you'll find it that way. Now, to bring us home, I'd love to hear from each of you about what you're looking forward to the most in future Mardi Gras events. Joel, I'll come to you first. What are you really looking forward to? Well, clearly a lineup of programs under the Queer Thinking banner. How about you, Amy? Oh, for me, um, just being at Mardi Gras, being part of the parade is always really exciting. Um, and just being able to see people with um, asexual flags in the crowd get super excited as we walk past, it just makes everything worth it. Like, that's the biggest moment for us, just see everyone be like, hey, I didn't know there was a group that was going to be in the parade. And we're just, you know, super excited to see you. So just being there for the people in our community, I think, is our the most um, important thing for me and just that excitement of the event itself. Well, Joelle Murray, Amy Benici and Carl Johnson, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for listening to Queer Thinking, presented by the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras in collaboration with Joy, Australia's rainbow community media organisation. If the content in this episode has raised any issues or concerns for you, support is available. For a list of support services, visit mardigras.org.au forward slash support dash networks. That's mardigras.org.au forward slash support dash networks. For more episodes of the Queer Thinking podcast and to check out upcoming Queer Thinking events, visit mardigras.org.au forward slash podcast.